Tov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is the uh, the prep day. We're getting ready for the Holy Shabbat, getting ready for the wonderful uh, opportunity to enter into a foretaste of Shemayim. So it is glad to be with you. I am glad to be with you. We have some inclement weather here, apparently, that is uh, coming to Fort Worth, the Dallas Fort Worth area. So I pray that everybody should stay safe. I think that uh, a little piece of uh, fuzz there. Pardon me. Uh, people uh, in the Oklahoma and Louisiana area. Anyway, it's a wide area. So I pray that everybody should be safe. That God should give us just beautiful rain and what have you, and uh, nothing, uh, nothing bad. That you should have a good day. It should be good news. That Shabbat should be a blessed day for everybody. And it's going to be a joy. Let's enter into the Sabbath with joy. Welcome. We have so many people who watch from all across the Fruited Plain. We, we say that nearly every day. People who watch across uh, from across the world. We have precious Lapidniks in uh, the United Kingdom, in Germany, um, uh, South Africa, um, India, Canada. And yesterday there was a, a precious uh, lady who who chimed in and gave us uh, a nice little comment from uh, who watches from Singapore. I would say her name, but her name was written in the uh, characters of her language. And so my, uh, my Singaporeese is a little bit rusty, so I'm not going to attempt it. But anyway, I want to say hello to her. Such a beautiful uh, opportunity to have somebody watching from Singapore. So um, we have people from Dubai people from uh, Kenya, from, you know, other parts of Africa. It's wonderful. So amazing. So thank you so much for being with us today. This is the sixth and seventh reading um, of our Parashah Vayeki, which is going to bring us to the conclusion of the book of Genesis. So that's exciting, is it not? <clears throat> so let's read, and we'll get right to our insights, because there's quite a lot to share. We have so many notes, so many things that we um, can speak about and share that we have not yet uh, gotten to. So let's read, and we'll get right to that. So welcome. Oh, by the way, I haven't said this recently, because everybody else says it, and that is, be sure and hit the like button. If you're new to the program, please be sure and... Uh, Subscribe. That's uh, uh, the word escaped me all of a sudden. Subscribe and share this video on all of your social media: Twitter, Facebook. Uh, what do you call that thing? Instagram, uh, Carrier Pigeon, uh, Smoke Signals. Send it out everywhere. All right, here we go. We are on page two eighty three, chapter forty nine, Quarenta Nueve, for our Sephardic Jews. And we're going to be reading in verse 27, 27. We want to keep this a international uh, program. So it says here, Benjamin is a predatory wolf. In the morning, he will devour prey. And in the evening, he will distribute spoils. All these are the tribes of Israel, 12. And this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each according to, its, to his appropriate blessing. Then he instructed them, and he said to them, I shall be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, 
which faces Mamre, and the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite as a burial estate. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. <clears throat> there they buried Yitzhak and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Purchase of the field and the cave within was from the sons of Heth. So it says, when Jacob finished instructing his sons, he drew his feet onto his bed, he expired and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50, beginning in verse 1. Then Yosef fell upon his father's face. He wept over him and kissed him. And Yosef ordered his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. His 40-day term was completed, for such is the term of the embalmed, and Egypt bewailed him for 70 days. When his bewailing period passed, Yosef spoke to Pharaoh's household, saying, If you please, if I have found favor in your eyes, speak now in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father had a journey, saying, Behold, I am about to die in my grave, which I have hewn for myself in the land of Canaan. There you are to bury me. Now I will go up, if you please, and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he adjured you. Now this is interesting because if you read some of the Midrashic accounts, and also the accounts in um, the book of Yasher, what ended up happening is, is that Pharaoh ordered all of Egypt to escort Yaakov, uh, Yaakov's coffin to Machpelah. And he said that basically, if you didn't participate, that you know you were you'd be killed, basically. And so the entire Egyptian army, with all of its uh, glory and glistening armor and swords and spears and banners, uh, escorted the uh, uh, the coffin of Yaakov all the way to Canaan to be buried. So it was a, it was a an ama- Can you imagine the amazing processional? And the, the 12 sons surrounded the coffin in the exact same way that the tribe surrounded the, um, the, the tabernacle. What's also interesting is on the, when, it, when they got to Machpelah, if you read the story in the writings, it says that all the other kings uh, realized how great Yaakov was. And so they came, and it says they cast their crown at or onto the coffin of Yaakov. They cast, they took off their crowns and cast them down. And uh, what's interesting is that we have to go back and remember that Yaakov was, as I shared earlier, he was like the Lamb of God. Okay. Um, that's why he didn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim, because it wasn't time for that yet. In his opinion, I'm the Lamb of God. If I'm buried here, then I'm going to bring about the redemption. That's, that's, that's not my role. But in any case, going back to these kings, they all cast their crowns at him, at his coffin, so that his coffin was surrounded by all of these crowns, like heaped up, if you will, in and around his coffin. And the sages point out that it looked like a crown of thorns. It looked like a bush of thorns, if you will. So I want you to think about that imagery as we pull it out from the story, as I'm I'm just recounting to you from memory. 
that we have the Lamb of God who's being taken up in a great procession and it, all the kings cast their crowns at him. And those crowns happen to look like a crown of thorns. Is there anything coincidental in God? Of course not. So it says here, And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he adjured you. And it says in verse 7, So Yosef went up to bury his father, and with him went up all of Pharaoh's servants, the elders of the household, and all the elders of the land of Mitzrayim, and all of Joseph's household, his brothers and his father's household, only their young children, their flocks, and their cattle did not leave in the region of Goshen. <clears throat> and he brought up with him both chariots and horsemen, and the camp was very imposing. They came to Goren Ha'atad, which is across the Yarden, and they there they held a very great and imposing eulogy, and he ordained seven-day mourning period for his father. When the Canaanite inhabitants of the land saw the mourning in Goren Ha'atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for Egypt. Therefore, it was named Avel Mitzrayim, which is across the Jordan. His sons did for him exactly as he had instructed them. His sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and they buried him in the cave of Machpelah field, the field that Abraham had bought as a burial state from Ephron the Hittite, facing Mamre. Yosef returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father after he buried his father. Yosef's brothers perceived that their father was dead, and they said, Perhaps Yosef will nurse hatred against us. And then he will surely repay us all the evil that he did to him. Why are they saying that? Because this is something said um, by Esau. Remember, Esau represents Christianity in the Jewish mind. And so Esau had said, when my father dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. So because the brothers, their, their faith is still not quite 100%, they're looking at Yosef, who remember, where's the Mashiach today? At the gates of Rome the gates of Christianity. They're looking at him and wondering, will he be like Esau? Turns out they were wrong. So it says, So they instructed that Yosef be, he, be told, Your father gave orders before his death, saying, Thus shall you say to Yosef, O oh, please kindly forgive the spiteful deed of your brothers and their sin, for they have done you evil. So now please forgive the spiteful deed of the servant of your father's God. And Yosef wept when they spoke to him. His brothers themselves also went and flung themselves before him and said, We are ready to be your slaves. But Yosef said to them, Fear not, for I am instead, for am I instead of God, he's saying. Although you intended me harm, God intended it for good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his promises. That is a Jewish idea written by a Jewish rabbi. Uh, to a congregation of believing Jews who follow the Lord. <clears throat> so it said here, God, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. It is as clear as this day that a vast people be kept alive. Like the whole purpose, again, the whole purpose for Yosef being betrayed is for the salvation of Israel. That's what's being said here. What you meant for... For evil to me is what, he, what Yosef is telling his brothers is actually God's way of bringing you salvation. You thought that you were doing, uh, you know, you were trying to get rid of me, and, and, and really you were, 
But in reality, God was doing this so that you could be saved. This is why Yeshua knew what was going on. This is why Pontius Pilate said to him, don't you realize that I, I could do whatever I want to you? And Yeshua said, you can only do to me what Hashem allows you to do to me. What I allow you to do for me, in fact. Yeshua said, I could call 10,000 angels right now. Why did he say that? Isn't it interesting? Yeshua could have said a lot of things to Pilate. He could have said, look, I've raised the dead. I've opened blind eyes. Um, you know, I've, called, I've caused a, a fig tree to, to wither. I could speak a word right now. I could cause you to become blind. I could cause you to become deaf. I could cause you to become a paraplegic. Um, I could wipe you out with the breath of my mouth. Uh, but no, he says I could call 10,000 angels. He talks about that, right? When he talks about being rescued from the hand of the guards and so on. I could call 10,000 angels. Why do you say that? Well, it's interesting because Memtet is considered the king of the angels. So it says here, um, Jette-toi le futur sur toi. Ah, uh, it is clear that they, this day the vast people will be kept alive. First 21. So now, fear not, I will sustain you and your young ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke to their heart. Yosef dwelt in Mitzrayim, he and his uh, father's household, and Yosef lived 110 years. Yosef saw three generations uh, through Ephraim. Even the sons of Machir, son of Manasseh, were raised on Joseph's knee. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Uh, I'm about to die, but God will surely remember you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Yosef adjured the children of Israel, saying, When God will indeed remember you, then you must bring up my bones out of here. So it says here, uh, Joseph died at the age of 110 years. They embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So it says here, um, we have reached the end of our Sefer. We have reached the end of our Sefer of Genesis. And so therefore we say, Hazak, Hazak, Venit, Hazak. Amen. So, yeah, it's good. Very interesting. You should all get the uh, book of Jasher. It's very interesting. There's a lot of what's in the book of Jasher. Most of it, in fact, is also in the Midrash Rabbah. It's a very good resource, it's a very in, in, insightful resource, and brings down a lot of interesting stories. Again, very same stories that are found in the Midrash Rabbah and the Talmud and what have you. Um, so I, I recommend it. I recommend the Book of Yasher. All right, so um, I want to share something here. If I didn't recommend it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cite it, right? If it wasn't a good source, think about it. Um, so it says here, we talked about yesterday, the Messiah is called Shiloh, right? And I brought down an insight, um, from Ma'am Loez, where he points out, as do others, that the word for the placenta is the word Shilia. And so I was talking about this last night in our, um, Torah study group. 
And Shlomo pointed out, as we were just talking about Shiloh and Shilia, to get the word, so Shiloh just is in Hebrew, the Shin Yud Lamed He. And the word Shilia in Hebrew is the Shin Lamed Yud He. So you take the Yud and the Lamed and you, you switch them around. So Shiloh, or excuse me, Shiloh is, of course, the Mashiach, and Shiloh is the placenta, the sac, right? The baby's in. So Shlomo points out something that was really amazing. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. So if you take that word, Shiloh, you could basically have two words, and it's shel Yah, which means of Yah, or of God. Right? Because Yah is the name of God. So of God or of Yah. So now we have this really uh, deeper understanding that Shiloh, as Mamloez points out, will be born of a woman. And in fact, he was. But it's interesting because the word for placenta in Hebrew literally means, can mean of God, of Yah. So I just want to point out, since we're on the topic of uh, wombs and placentas and amniotic fluid, if you look at that whole makeup of the feminine, that feminine aspect there of the baby, where the baby is born, the word for womb in Hebrew is rechem, which comes is, is the same spelling as the word rachum, just with the vav added, which means compassionate. So we say rachaman. Is, is, a, is a title of God, meaning the compassionate one. So the word womb itself me is the word for compassion. And then the amniotic fluid that's in the womb, as I've pointed out in, in uh, previous videos, is in Hebrew, mishafir. The word shafir there has the, 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 the letters of shofar in it. So now we have the placenta, which is shilia, which is of Yah, the uh, womb itself means compassionate. We're surrounded by the compassionate one. And the, the water, the amniotic fluid of the womb in, in which we, we float as a babies, is related to the shofar. Now, what's of further interest in all of this is that that led to a discussion of somehow, I'm not sure how we got off into this, but led into a discussion of how fingerprints are formed. <laughs> and uh, it's really interesting when you, when you do a little bit of a study into that particular topic, that the way in which human beings' um, fingerprints are formed, and if you think about it, um, as, as has been pointed out by scientists, Everybody's fingerprints, as we, as most of us know, all of our fingerprints are completely unique. But something that struck me as I had never thought about it before, of course, it makes sense. But that also holds true for identical twins. So you have two babies uh, that are in the womb; they're a hundred percent genetically identical, and yet their fingerprints are uh, completely unique. Nobody has the same um, fingerprints. So how are fingerprints formed? Well, it's very interesting because they talk about the fact that our fingerprints are formed 
they're they're fully formed by the sixth month, which is twenty four weeks into the pregnant pregnancy, which is interesting because of the you know, think about the twenty four elders. But anyway, it they're formed by the in, in a couple of different ways. One is by the pressure of the amniotic fluid exerted on our growing fingers. And the other way is, they say, by, by the way in which the, the, the baby uh, kind of pushes on its surroundings. In this case, the placenta. So it's interesting, just to, just to note, just a point of interest, that our fingerprints are made by the shofar and they come from Hashem, right? So every week when we're in the synagogue at Sar Shalom and we hear the shofar blast, and we're surrounded by Hashem. That this is bringing us a, a reflection, if you will. It's bringing us an understanding. It's bringing us a reminder of our identity. And our identity is unique. And our identity comes from Mishafir and from Shilya. Our identity, ultimately, you could say, since it comes from Shilya, comes from Shiloh. Is it any wonder then that the enemy spends so much time trying to rob you and I of our identity? Is it any wonder that one of the principal ways that, that the enemy tries to discourage, to depress, is by stealing our identity? Why? Because it all comes from Hashem surrounded in his amniotic fluid, as it were. It's amazing, isn't it? What an amazing God we have and all the wonderful um, things that he has done for us. It's just incredible. Increíble, right? So it says here, um, I just want to go back to this. Let's see. I'll, I'll start here with this insight. This insight. <clears throat> This goes back to the idea of the younger will be greater than the elder. Okay? So it says here, um, as we have seen, Manasseh represents our obligation to protect ourselves from the negative influences of our surroundings and from our inner baseness. Ephraim, in contrast, represents our, our, our obligation to influence our surroundings, to redeem ourselves and the world from exile. So Manasseh corresponds to the call of turn from evil, whereas Ephraim is to the call of do good. Now this is interesting because this is speaking to why the younger was elevated above the, el the older. And the answer is that the older was all about taking care, making sure that you're walking a spiritual walk, that you're refraining from doing evil. But, but Ephraim is greater. Why is he greater? Because he's not just about refraining from evil. He's about doing good. Now, this is intriguing because at the time of the Messiah, Hillel... The great, who was a Pharisee, the lead, one of the uh, one of the two Zagot, who were the leader of the Pharisees, the generation before Messiah had said when he was asked what were the two greatest commandments, 
he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And he said, the second greatest commandment is what's hateful to you, don't do to somebody else. Now, Messiah Yeshua is asked that same question later, of course. He's asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Of all 613 mitzvot, which one are the two greatest? Now, if Yeshua had a problem with Pharisaical Judaism, that would have been the best time to completely blow Hillel out of the water and rebuke uh, the whole Pharisaical idea and uh, tell everybody that what Hillel said was absolutely incorrect and yada, yada, yada. He did not do that. Why? Because Yeshua himself was a Pharisee. He agreed with Hillel. He agreed with Pharisaical Judaism. In fact, at one point, he even talks about the Pharisees and says, those who are well don't need a physician. I didn't come for them. I came for those who were sinners. To imply what? To imply that the Pharisees are on the right track. Which is why I are one. Now, <clears throat> so, but Yeshua does do something a, a little different. He pulls an Ephraim. Why? Because he's the Mashiach ben Yosef. He's the Mashiach ben Ephraim. So therefore, he puts a different spin on it and says, you should love the Lord God all your heart, soul, and strength. That's number one. Number two, what you would want others to do to you, you should do to them. So Hillel had a Manasseh spin on it. Hillel said, refrain from doing evil because you want people to refrain from doing evil to you. And Yeshua, who was Mashiach ben Ephraim, Mashiach ben Yos, remember those are two synonymous terms, said what you want somebody to do to you, you should do to them. So he puts that spin on there. A, in, a, in an appropriate way um, according to his calling. Now, let's see. So another, since we're on the topic of helping others, here's another great insight from the Kehul Tumash with respect to this. It says, Your elder brother Reuben also tried to save Yosef. Reuben's intentions in saving Yosef also seemed nobler than Judah's. It's talking about how Judah surpassed Reuben. So it says Reuben wanted to save Yosef and bring him back to his father. Judah saved Yosef only so that he could be sold into slavery. Similarly, Reuben's repentance seems far superior to Judah's. Firstly, Judah simply admitted that he was guilty, whereas Reuben repented through fasting and other forms of penitence for many years. Secondly, Judah knew that if he did not admit his guilt, there would, their lives would have been taken unjustly. No comparable consequence compelled Reuben to repent. So Reuben repented on his own, and he did so sincerely, whereas seemingly Judah repented only to gain something. But it goes on to say, nonetheless, Judah's deeds actually helped people whereas Reuben's did not. In fact, it points out here that Reuben, since he was preoccupied with his personal repentance, he wasn't around to save Joseph from being sold into slavery. He was off taking care of his own teshuva, 
taking care of his own spiritual needs, but was not focused on others. So it says here, Therefore Reuben lost the kingship to Judah and the priesthood to Levi. Why? For the primary function of the king and the priest is to serve others. Now, Yeshua was both king and priests. And uh, this is why he said that the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. He came uh, to give his life, right? So that many could be saved. That's why he said what he said. Because in his role, this is what he came for. Now, I want to point out something else, too. We're, we're kind of running out of time. I guess we've gone by so fast today. But anyway, this is what it says. This is another insight from the book of Vayek, excuse me, from the Sefer, I'm sorry, Sleek up, from the Parsha of Vayeki. Talking about, um, talking about chapter 48 and verse 15, or verse 16, where it says, May the angel who redeems me. So it says, Jacob makes a distinction between two benefits. He attributes daily sustenance to a divine act and deliverance from danger to the action of the appointed angel. Philosophers and commentators attempt to explain the difference between the one and the other. So they write, or Rabbi Monk writes rather, it appears that the sustenance accorded daily to all creatures from the largest to the most minute is something supernatural for which the creator alone holds the keys in his hands. In other words, it's interesting to point out that our daily provision, our daily bread, our daily sustenance can only come from God himself. The key to daily sustenance is one of the keys held by God only. Which means that when Yeshua provided the fishes and the loaves twice, that he was using a key that no one thought he had. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. We have lots of content, but we are out of time. But don't fear, because we're doing our our year, our journey year through Genesis. So we'll come back to this, this chapter, each and every chapter, and explore them one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and it's going to be amazing. So uh, we're going to end it here. We'll end our Sefer Breshit here. Hazak, Hazak, Venit, Hazak. Stay safe, safe, safe. Stay faithful. Stay joyful. May you have a wonderful and amazing Shabbat. Please join us via live stream or in person. If you live in the Fort Worth, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please join us here at the synagogue. If you're in Tulsa, be at our, our Tulsa synagogue. You don't want to miss that. We have Lapid House in Houston, Kansas City. New York. We have people everywhere. If you're looking for a place, let us know where you are and we'll do our very best to connect you with other Lapidniks in your area. God bless you. Shabbat Shalom. We will see everybody tomorrow. Have a great and wonderful day.